Welcome back to another episode of Zero Lift. You're here with Ryan, Lenny, and John. Big money! And <laughs> tonight we will be hearing stories from Lenny. Hopefully you guys are like reclined in your chairs and ready to sleep, possibly. And if not, don't worry. John will jump back on that soapbox and wake you up. I love me some soapboxes. So uh, what have we been doing this week uh, for cars? Uh, Lenny, why don't you tell us what you've been doing up in the fires of California? Uh, this week, cars, absolutely nothing. I've just been working on uh, like my little office room. Do little things around the house, nothing big. Excellent, excellent. What about you, John? Well, uh... As I've been talking about the last few weeks, I've been moving. I got my air compressor set up. I got my lift. I have a lift in my garage um, that's set up. So I'm going to be swapping motor mounts on the GTR here pretty soon. I got some um, PRP mounts because I think my Nismos are coming apart. Uh-oh. Oh, yeah. So I spent big money on PRP mounts. Um, and then not car-related but gearhead-related, I'm uh, – fortunate enough to work for a company that's paying for me to get my commercial flight instructor ratings. So I'm already a, a rated instrument rated pilot. Um, and now I'm working on instructor. So I, uh, took a Piper Cherokee up for a few hours, a couple days this week and did some stuff with that. So that's pretty cool. Pretty cool. Uh, can I ask cool. where, where did you buy those PRP mounts from? Like what the what the source was? I think it was uh, I think it was raw brokerage. It, it was usual suspects, right? Like it wasn't. Uh, I didn't go down a rabbit hole to get them. Um, but uh, I, believe, I believe I purchased them from raw. Why? Not not to not to put drama up in the air, but like I heard, <laughs> I had heard like in one of the Facebook groups, GTR Facebook groups, that the PRP USA rep John Jonathan something I, I forget his last name, uh, but he's out on the East Coast. He had a, like a falling out with PRP Australia, like the main hub. Something about uh, he had basically built the brand from nothing, and like they weren't compensating. No royalties, basically, or something like that. I don't know. I don't want to put no roommate out there. Oh, no. but anyway, those those ties those ties are cut. So like right now, you can't get any uh, PRP stuff that's not already in stock in, in the states. I guess so. Well, wondering where you got it from. Yeah, so raw brokerage had the mounts in stock, and supposedly mm. they are on the way. And they have not. It's been a few days now, and they have not sent me any Instagram saying it's too bad, so sad. So I think we are I, talking. We are talking platinum racing products, right? From we Australia. Are, yeah, the guys that okay. make the like prohibitively the trigger, expensive but really the nice trigger kit, the coil the, kits, the, girdles, the engine brace. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I, I like I said, I, I those mounts like <laughs> those mounts took a dump, I think. That's unfortunate. Yeah, it's been really sad. Ryan, you done anything cool? Yeah. Uh I took an adventure from Omaha up to Rapid City. Uh on the way back, I stopped in the Badlands. Haven't been there in twenty years. Actually, last time I was there was with you, John. Uh so, good. so yeah, being able to get down there and uh climb out on them, throw some cheese, some thumbs up was really good. Gotta throw uh, the cheese. Spent most of my afternoon there. Gotta. Uh and actually it was cool too because I was able to take some of the uh Togay stuff we talked about Ooh. uh with reading the lines through the uh the the bad hills there. 
and it was kind of cool. I was like, oh, okay, nice, because there were some blinders, and there was not human-sized mirrors for me to look at. There was human-sized goats, though, on the side of a couple of hairpins, <laughs> so that was quite exciting. And then uh, I ended up actually driving through a, a Midwest um, thunderstorm for like four hours. It was Oof. brutal. So I left Rapid City, Rapid City to Omaha Straits like eight hours at, with mountain and central time zone shifting, not included, just pure drive time. It ended up being about 12 hours of drive time at the end of it because I had to like stop and I was like reading the radar because I was about to hit uh, purple on the radar where it was like severe thunderstorm warming, golf-sized hail, 80 mile per hour winds and i was like i'm gonna stop and then i had to go it was it was an adventure man i was clenching the whole time and was like all right i got home and i'm like that is super adventure mode. Right I, I took the next day off man my boss didn't even care she was like that's fine <laughs> it was just nuts and i was in a i'm in a chevy malibu the the windshield wiper blades are hot trash i had this thing at maximum speed air air on the thing and it was just like nuts semi trucks are passing me and throwing whitewash on yeah I survived. I'm here to tell a story, but it was definitely an adventure between the the Badlands and then Midwest thunderstorms in the middle of the night. So that's Man. that was my. Yeah. Uh, so I have to ask during the the good part of that drive when you were in the Badlands and you were going to the the Togay, uh, did you notice the vanishing point that me and John were talking about? Just exactly. About yeah. That's what I noticed. Yeah. So I, I looked out for that when I was coming through those, I did, you know, I had a couple of tourists in the way, uh, so I couldn't go too hard, but it was super fun. Uh, noticing the vanishing point and looking out for those, um, really allowed me to feel control of this car, uh, as I went into them. So it was, it was nice to apply it somewhere. Like I said, I was going to try to find somewhere and it just so happened. I happened to go somewhere with Hills and vanishing points versus nice. the flatland, Nebraska. Um, so it was super cool to be able to apply it all days after. Well, bravo. bravo. Like it. Thank you, gentlemen. Love it. Thank you. So besides uh, surviving thunderstorms and checking out cool parts of the no coast areas, uh, let's get on with tonight's podcast. So I mentioned how Lenny's going to tell us a story. We're talking about a fantastic innovator, uh, and a guy who really shaped, uh, F1 and even your daily driver's whether you know it or not. So, uh, Lenny, let's hand it over to you. Let's tell us the story of the man, the myth, the legend. The man, the myth, the legend, Colin Chapman. Not only Colin Chapman, but Anthony Colin Bruce Chapman. That's his full government name given to him at birth, right? Not many people call him by that. He's just Colin Chapman to yeah. most. To everybody, right? And for our you know listeners that aren't super vested in motorsports history, why do we care? Quick elevator pitch about Colin Chapman. Two, three points. Founder of Lotus, the car company, and uh, one of the most... The F1 team. Right. And the F1 team, one of the most significant F1 innovators of all time. So, real quick, this is why you should care about Colin Chapman, and we're going to do a deep dive into what makes him great. Yeah, you. he's the... Owner founder, was the owner founder of Lotus, the car company, and the F1 team. He was a major innovator in not only F1, but also car design and engineering in terms of suspension and chassis development, aerodynamics, all kinds of aerodynamics. Uh, He was a maverick, right? Fucking maverick. He. He's another another person in the annals of car history 
think it's pronounced uh, annals. That was... was that a Freudian slip? <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> Possible. That was a me uh, move right there. Um, yeah, he, he was a, another, just another one of those dudes in car history that uh, personified Zero Lift. Well, that's who yeah. he is at so a yeah. glance. Tell us about him. Well, let's get deep and let's go dive. In. So, yeah, Colin Chapman, old Colin. He was born in May 19th. He was born on May 19th, 1928. Uh, born in Richmond, just west of London. He was brought up uh, at a little neighborhood called Moswell Hill. Uh, father ran a railway hotel, which I think uh, probably attributed to his sort of intrigue into engineering and design. You know, seeing all those cars from a young uh, cars. Huh. Train train rail, from, cars, uh, rail cars, rail, rail cars, rail cars. Yeah, that's where I was going with the thing. <laughs> uh, the, you know, the the steam engines, trains going through, you know, on a daily basis. I'm sure he was fascinated by all that moving machinery, as you know, any young boy would be at any age, right? Have you seen the hyper enthusiastic railway spotters in London on YouTube? Oh yeah, I watched that guy. No, I he's haven't. The, yeah, these guys. He's got like the. They just stand the on a bridge, like right on their face. Yeah, they just stand on a bridge and wave at trains. And if the train blows the horn at them, they like get so excited they start crying. So hype! <laughs> he did it for his birthday or something like that. And like they know all the train types. It was so funny too because they have they put the they're basically wearing like almost a bandana, and the phone is like super close to their face. Like you can like see his nostrils. Movie. Yeah, like it's intense, and it's like they're just like. Ah! Like, dude, you have to check it out, man. It is hilarious. I'll have to check that out. Oh, this is the four (laughs) o'clock from Manchester. He gave me ten (laughs) whistles. Oh, he gave me ten whistles. That's great. Fantastic. So, uh, I'm sure these trains brought him to study at London. Uh, He studied at University of College London. Structural engineering, right? So, he's getting more knowledge into, you know, design philosophy, the design elements and engineering behind it all. Um, took up flying in the, the university squadron, air squadron club, which is crazy to think about nowadays. Like I, I wish when I was at UConn, I had a flying club. Yeah. Right. Like, that would have made so many things in my life so much easier if I could. Right. Yeah. Just, <laughs> Uh, I, I'm in a flying club now because, you know, my job helps offset the membership fees. <laughs> but imagine being a college student, like, oh, I'm just going to take the bird up for a couple hours. Right. You could commute to work in your plane. I'm saying, dude. Wild. That's baller. So uh, he went to college in 1947. And so like the 1947, 1948 years for, for old Colin, uh, we're pretty busy. So he was going to university, he was flying, he started flying. He decided to drop out of university to go fly for the Royal Air Force for a few months. Um, I guess so. he was good enough for them to offer a commission. This is post-World War II now, right? Yep. But he, you know, thought better of it, decided he wanted to go design race cars. So that's what he did. Yeah. He 
So he goes from dropping out of college, essentially, uh, joining the Royal Air Force, dropping out of that after denying or you know rejecting their commission. Then he builds his first race car in 1948, which is a modified Aston 7. Which he starts racing it at local local race. Which for you know guys that don't know, like that's the Mark One Lotus as he called it, like. It looks like a Model T. It's like real skinny wheels, little bucket, um, and, okay. and they're racing those at the time, which I think is awesome. <laughs> you just don't think about those as race cars, you know? Yeah, and he's and he's winning races, right? But he, he's not really being competitive. Um, and so he starts to modify or, or to further modify this Austin 7. Um and around, I guess the the second sort of iteration, he they, he called it Marks. His cars by Marks. Uh, so the Mark II, um, he did something interesting. Yeah, with, th- uh, the manifolds. Is that right, John? No, it was the cylinder head. I think the Mark II. Oh, it was a cylinder, cylinder head. I think the Mark II is like the first indication that we have of like how he was more than a typical like car enthusiast and a effing genius so on those engines on those cars they had it was a four-cylinder and instead of like a four-cylinder like we know today where you have a port in the cylinder head going to each cylinder so four-cylinder four intake ports four exhaust ports those are called a six-port head so they had two intake ports that split off in like a y and went to each went to two cylinders and then they had four ports, one for each cylinder on the exhaust side. And he realized that the exhaust side flowed better than the intake side. And so what he did was he reversed the flow of the head. So like where the exhaust bolted up to the engine, he unbolted the exhaust, bolted the intake, the carburetors and everything, to the exhaust side and just sent fuel through the engine backwards. So... It- and then he, is that something that you could that you're grasping, Ryan? That might that that might be like something. I, I okay. I mean, I so I, hold on. So basically, at the time, so he took the export and turned it into the import, and then the import and turned it into the export. Yeah, yeah. He turned he turned the he turned the outdoor into the indoor, and the, the indoor into uh, the outdoor on the engine, and, uh, and he he modified the exhaust ports because. You know, I won't get too techy, but typically you need higher flow on intake ports than you do exhaust ports. And he noticed that this cylinder head had a better design on the exhaust port, so it was backwards. And so he, uh. so he just reversed it, which is insane. Like anybody that's modified but a car and installed an exhaust or an intake, like imagine designing a, something where you bolt the intake on the other side and the exhaust on the intake side. That's the suck on the exhaust had a better flow rate, and nah, so it's we just, switched it around. Yeah, it's it's it, all a port is is a fancy name for a, a hole, and yeah. and so the, the, yeah, so the, the holes were better flowing on the exhaust side. Okay, so then he flipped it around. Yeah. Then is that did that just say is that was that only for that particular engine or did that yeah, make was, modifications it, yeah, going yeah. forward? Well, no. yeah, it was the the start of further. De- excuse me, further development for him. But that was specific to the Mark II, I think. 
So just that engine on the Mark II, he was like, oh, I can tweak this, and now I'm better with this particular engine. Yeah. But that didn't necessarily Be- cause innovation going forward. Right, because uh, by the Mark III uh, race car, it was something completely different. Right. At that point, like it, it, he had uh, redesigned chassis elements, uh, new engine, and, and, it's, and essentially it was a completely different car. And so like uh, the difference between the Mark One and Mark Two to every other Lotus car was every other Lotus car after that was a different, completely different car. He was so it'd be completely, like he was going back to the drawing board and just yeah, brand new. So it'd be yeah, like if new. we were to take the hybrid engines of F1 right now and then, like, let's say Ferrari was like, hey, if I switch the input to the output and I have more, I have more power, you know, but then, like, we're switching entire engine types going forward, it doesn't matter. Right. Well, but he was using, he was yeah. using that development or that sort of mindset. Right. That, yeah, from what he learned, gotcha. a better flow through heads and ports. Well, and it's just the crazy thing cool. is just, you know, you're designing a part of an engine to do something it's not originally designed to do, right? You're not bolting on parts. You're not even modifying those parts. You are fundamentally re-engineering an existing engine. And so I don't, you know, the F1 example doesn't quite hold up because F1 stuff is bespoke sure. from the start, right? They designed it originally. He just took an engine that existed and was like, well, what if I did that? And he completely right. re-engineered yeah. that. Okay. Okay. So okay. that makes sense to me. He was after the, after the Mark II. He was winning races. Like his cars didn't have a lot of power, uh, but they were lightweight, and that's something that he's very famous for. Um, and there's a good good quote that I like to use at this point uh, from him: "Adding power makes you faster on the straights. Subtracting weight." makes you faster everywhere. Does that make Very sense? Cool. And that design philosophy became prototypical to Lotus cars, period. Mm-hmm. They've always so, been champions of lightweight. Right. And so the Mark II was winning a bunch of races. By the Mark III design and race car, uh, he was approached by a gentleman. I don't have his name, and it's not really recorded in any sort of history book that I can see. Uh, as of yet, was the first customer car. It was the Mark III B. So only one made. So there was only one other Mark III. It was Mark III A and the Mark III B, right? So that's pretty cool. It's cool. Um, so from that, it kind of snowballed. Uh, Colin won more races. He got more notoriety. Uh the marks and the types of cars that he was developing and racing grew more and more rapidly. And by like 1956, you know, he was uh, racing, or not him himself, but uh, designing and developing race cars for, you know, Le Mans teams. Uh, He had risen through the ranks, so to speak, in terms of um, engineering through all the formulae, formulae, I think that's the right way I'm saying it. I believe that's correct. Formulae, you know, of motorsport. Uh, and he had made himself uh, a name so much that he made it to Formula One. He started to, uh... so he kept racing at this point and designing. He was doing sort of a dual-headed thing. Uh, 
and he was making his way through the ranks of you know different uh, motorsport formulae. Uh, he eventually made it to F1 in 1956, uh, though it was only for one entry in a Grand Prix. He actually didn't even start that one technically. Uh, <laughs> truth be told, because he crashed to his into his teammate in practice, and so that kind of cemented his. In his mind, and I think in everybody else's, that he was better off to, you know, designing and engineering race cars instead of driving them. Hey, and you know, at, the, at least at the F1 level, right? So I mean, that's yeah, that says something, uh, you know. And back then, F1 cars were crazy monsters. But you know what that tells us is that even dudes crashing into crowds of people at Cars and Coffee and their Mustangs can have a future in motorsports, right? <laughs> <laughs> What? Just you might not. Yeah, be, you know, what's a little fratricide? Yeah, you might not be a driver, but you know, Colin Chapman was not a prolific driver. One of the greatest names in motorsports. So you he know. was not a prolific driver in an F1 car. You got to make that sort of distinction. I right. think. So you know, t- you can tell oh. uh, you can tell Xander and his Mustang everything's going to be okay. <laughs> Xander, oh shit! Yeah, oh. Ken. Ken is gonna. Ken. he's gonna oh, hang Ken's me for gonna that. Hate you. He's gonna hang yeah. me for that. Xander one. guy sounds like a character, man. Running into crowds at, while drinking coffee. <laughs> Dangerous. Dangerous. Uh, we got. We. I'm gonna have to steer him away from that. Well, and you know, so uh, crowds and coffee. No, uh, our our friends. Our friend's friend's uh, son son. is named Xander, and I threw that in there. His firstborn is Xander. I threw that in there as a slight to him, but I do love Ken. I also have a friend with the name Xander, which is funny. For the record, though, Ken is is a phenomenal driver. There, I said it. Yeah. Also. And and a JDM fan. Yeah. Super record. Also, Ken's an asshole, because he'll probably listen to this. He's an asshole, and I hate him. So. Anyway, Subarus are down the tier list of the cars, but we'll we'll get back to that in another time. Let's talk about Mr. uh, Well, so the other thing, what's cool is that while he's doing this F1 effort, he also designed the Lotus 7. So he crashed in F1 in 1956. Lotus 7 comes out in 1957. Some of our listeners may know that better as the Catrum 7, because Catrum was a company that made kit cars based on the Lotus 7. So he still so, do. yeah, still do to this day. It is the most popular kit car ever made. And it is based on well, it, a Shelby Cobra might be close, but um one of the most prolific Depends on what side of the pond you were on, I think. Yeah, but one of the most yeah. prolific kit cars ever made, Lotus offered as a kit, I believe. He sold it originally as a kit um in 1957 while he's campaigning in F1. Like Yep. That's that's insane. Very cool. Uh, and he's yeah. not a big company. He's some effing guy. It's a guy. It's a guy. It's a guy in his cars. It's a guy in his cars. And so while I have my soapbox partially pulled out. Um, partially, <laughs> partially erect. Yeah. So on his F1 team that he's campaigning, one of his next big technical innovations is what's called Chapman Struts in 1957. A Chapman strut, so back in the day, and like trucks nowadays still use them, but cars use leaf springs, which is basically a flat piece of metal, usually multiple ones stacked on top of each other, and they have a certain rigidity, and those are the springs of the car. 
So that metal bends, and it's the spring and the shock, essentially. Um, although sometimes you'll see them with separate dampers. But uh, that's what they used. And then 10 years prior in the 40s, a guy named McPherson comes up with the McPherson strut, and that is a shock like we are used to seeing, a telescoping tube with a rod in it and fluid inside. Um, and they allow for, it's easier to tune, right? You can change the dampener settings like bound and rebound and stuff like that. And so that was on the front and that was kind of standard equipment, but they were still using leafs in the rear because they had solid axles. Um, and it was difficult to develop an independent rear suspension. So Colin patents Chapman struts, which is basically a McPherson style strut in the rear of the car attached to an independent type rear suspension. And that innovation is huge because it's not just it's not just bolting McPherson struts to the back of the car. It is at the same time fundamentally redesigning the entire rear axle and allowing it to articulate. And now pretty much any car has independent rear suspension. Again, unless you're talking about a truck. Um, and that's in 1957 and Chapman has the patent for that. That's crazy. Yeah, that's, that's wild innovation right there where it's just have to go around in bumpy cars no more because of this man the true test of any innovation is time really right if you look at it i'm saying sure mm-hmm. and and i was looking at pictures of these leaf struts and they look uncomfortable i would not want to work on those like think about it you take your car to a mechanic now to get your struts worked on it's expensive imagine having to deal with leaf struts that sounds mm-hmm. disgusting and i want nothing to do with them well at and, all so here's the crazy thing is that corvettes use leaf springs until 1983 Mm-hmm. With the advent of the C4, like it, why? America, America, fair <laughs> enough. America, baby. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. If it is broke, keep it broken. Apparently, <laughs> you can you can get look. I'm not. There's there's people that will scream at us. You can get good performance out of leaf struts, but it's just not okay. as sophisticated as a McPherson or Chapman style of tube strut but anyway it's, it's not not as good but okay it can be done if you push it to the limits so it went he went from one innovation to another innovation right like he this man just kept kept it coming zero lift <laughs> really quick no doubt pinned to the floor all the time so like from that that was in 1957 right right in 62 he comes out with the first full monocoque and uh composites chassis f1 car okay completely dethrones ferrari says yo important yo enzo yo Fuck you, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't need your Ferraris. <laughs> yeah, so, and this is his aerospace experience bleeding into this, right? Because, like, so what a monocoque is, besides, it, it's not one rooster. Um, it's, uh... And the full, here comes the full soapbox. Yeah, full soapbox. So, nor, like, old cars and trucks today, right, you have this rigid steel box and all your suspension and your engine and everything attaches to the box that's the chassis and then the body bolts to the chassis in a monocoque you know nowadays 
a lot of cars are semi-monocoques called a unibody where the body of the car is actually like a fundamental part of the chassis. So a monocoque chassis is where the entire car is the chassis, including the body, and not just this rigid frame that everything bolts to. So it's all integral. What that allows you to do is instead of having a heavy steel frame, you can use lighter weight materials like aluminum or composites. And the overall car ends up being lighter and stiffer because you engineer that stiffness into all parts of the body. Um, and like Lenny mentioned, he also used composites. So like fiberglass. Um, and that was the first time, or that was among the first times using non-metal material as structural material. If you take that out to its Zenith, you've got space shuttles, you've got like F1 cars and hypercars like Koenigseggs and stuff are now built completely on carbon fiber chassis, carbon fiber monocoques. Yep. They don't even use metal anymore in the and and they're lighter and stronger than ever and that is like the advent of this idea was with Chapman's F1 cars in 62. So like like you mentioned Ryan like the test of an innovation is time. Holy crap. Here we are 60 yeah. years later and his idea is like the de facto cutting edge standard. It is That's the standard hypercar of supercar. No, it's not even F1. a hypercar. It's a supercar. Not even a, not even that. It's sports cars. Regular sports cars. That's wow. true. That's true. It's been distilled down. Monocoques. Yeah. It's time right there. Distillation to everything. Trickle effect. Yeah. Amazing. And so Lotus, you know, comes out on top uh, in 63. Dethrones Ferrari, right? The dynasty. The then, Yeah. Then around this time, you know, uh, with these championships, uh, a sort of different kind of innovation that old Colin Chapman uh, decides to do, and this is with F1, and he brings it into sort of out, out of the rich million millionaire playboy era, uh, you know, run by lords and royalties. You know, if you ever seen uh, the movie Rush, movie, which is a good one to watch. Uh, it's about the James Hunt, Nicky Lauda saga story. Great movie. Great movie. Uh, it sort of illustrates in the background there how the funding of F1 was at the time uh, prior to, you know, Lotus coming in and really changing it, letting corporate sponsors in and really letting them influence deliveries of the car. And as we all know, it gave us such iconic, you know, looks of, on cars, on F1 cars, the Lotus John Player Special, the McLarens, the Marlboros, the Ferrari Red, with now Marlboro, the now Mission, which is incognito Marlboro. Well, yeah, and so prior to to <laughs> right, yeah, prior to his his this stuff in like 1963, like cars were essentially like if you look at the old silver arrows of Mercedes and stuff, you know they were just painted in team colors, British racing green, whatever. And he pioneered this idea as a businessman of getting companies to sponsor you, and then you put stickers of the companies on the car and so when everybody thinks of a race car now they think of a, a driving advertisement just stickers all over the place right and that's what's called a livery and before colin chapman started 
pandering for money. We didn't have liveries. It wasn't even a thing. Yeah. And, you know, and it was like, it was like IPOing for a company, right? You would, you would go out and get corporate sponsors your race team and they would pay for it. Yeah. So essentially, even drivers have sponsorships. I mean, if true. Fernando Alonso, I mean, it's great. These guys now get sponsorships themselves individually that they bring to teams, which allows them to sign up with teams. I mean, that's just that one. I mean, we're probably talking across the board. Um, even small YouTubers and stuff like that that are building cars get sponsored by like Vaseline and things like that. So it's, I mean, it is. I think you, I think you mean Valvoline. That's that's what John uses on daily. Naturally, that John uses those, and then it's also uh, a song by uh, that one band. I can't remember the name of them. Uh, She doesn't use Vaseline, but Vaseline. Yeah, but there's the other one by the band from Kansas that's all hippies. I can't remember. She doesn't use Vaseline. Um, (laughs) Like. Seriously, basically, if you guys don't have YouTube Premium and you have to watch ads all the time, and even if you have YouTube Premium and you notice that you're uh, listening to your YouTube people talk about sponsors, this probably trickles all the way back to Chapman putting stickers on cars and getting paid for it. Yeah, and the takeaway is Colin Chapman. <laughs> Colin Chapman is responsible for your children getting hooked on cigarettes. But yeah, I mean, cigarettes and sponsorships is like a huge <laughs> deal all the way. Th- I That's mean, just news. huge. <laughs> Huge deal. Well, smoke kids. And if that wasn't enough, more household names. So around this time, Colin worked with a couple engineers that went on to fund a company called Cosworth. And for anybody, oh, you don't say. You don't say. For anybody that's been in motor or into motorsports for any period of time, yes, that Cosworth. Um, so, engine. I'm Cosworth. The what? Greatest engine of all time, Cosworth? Glad you said so, Ryan. Uh, yes. <laughs> um, I don't know anything. It just sounds like. So he was partners with the, these guys with Cosworth who were prolific engineers, and he convinced Ford to fund Cosworth to design an engine which became known as the Ford V8 DFV. Uh, not deep effing value, but double four valve. Basically a dual overhead cam V8. This is in the 60s, mind you. So before Ford's modular engine in the 90s, um, they actually built an F1 engine. The DFV was one of the most prolific F1 engines of all time. It basically became the de facto engine of F1 from the late 60s into the 80s and was only dethroned by the turbo era. So that's also another innovation that withstood the test of time in F1, where development is rapid and forever changing. Yeah, and like never stops. The idea that like not only an engine configuration, you know, like V10s, V12s, or whatever, but a specific engine family survived and was the the front runner in a motorsport series as prestigious as f1 for 15 years is unheard of that's like yeah absolutely absurd and that was that was the lotus 49 was that in in 67 the 49 yeah the first one to use that so that's just so long i mean that is like yeah years for one engine basically 
Good chassis drop. Look at you. Ah, I love chassis. I don't know the codes very well yet, but I. <laughs> I'm I mean, you, I'm you, you, you hit you hit the you hit the chassis yeah for uh lotus 49 uh, that's his lotus chassis which yeah. oh, i guess it's the, it, for, for it was the name and the chassis code it made it simple for me unlike the japanese who sound cool but i have no idea what you're talking about half the time <laughs> so i think that so, takes us to our next major point which was the lotus 49 which is a significant development yep yep some might say it was the uh, the masterpiece and um, the epitome of his instance on the extreme economy of design. And the, the reason why I say that is because it popularized, popularized, popularized. Made, made, made it popular. Words are hard. Got it. Man, man, English. English is uh, a rough language. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> had a stressed member an engine stressed member it was john wh why don't you take it i'm kind of babbling <laughs> my words here well so you actually, know about oh, it. hold on i learned about this let me let me try to explain this do it because i learned about it this should be okay good. i'm gonna try here this should be good i want to hear you want to fail okay so basically it's in the words man words are hard but it's in the words so it's a stressed member so Essentially, what it's saying is that instead of having the engine kind of float around and do its own dilly bob within the car chassis, they're relying on the engine and stressing it as part of the like structure of the car to make it rigid. So I can't believe instead it. Instead of it, no, you got it right. Keep going. I can't believe it. Okay. <laughs> so basically, the, by using the, um, it was the first one to use the stress member. And uh, it was basically copied by everybody because you do something successful in F1, everybody's going to steal it unless Ferrari can't, and then they'll ban you. Um, <laughs> it's the name of the game. Right, right. Now, now it's Mercedes right. with the flexi wing, but I digress. Right. So, um, so the difference so yeah, here. Yeah, so super cool with the trust member. Yeah, so the difference here, Ryan, is that, you know, when your girl is doming you and you're just like lying on the bed <laughs> taking it, that is like a traditional engine design. And when you are actually. Daily for John. Yeah, and when you are actually strapped to the bedpost holding the bed up, you are a stressed member of the bed construction. So, oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. And, I really like where you took that metaphor, buddy. Yeah, no. <laughs> well, we all know that you're beta and like you get tops. So, that's, you know, I just figured oh, it was oh, out. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Okay. You get all your right. jabs in all on right. me all the time. I got to give it back. Hey, man, just because you got to stand on a soapbox, even reach the bed, that's okay. All right. So. <laughs> But you know what doesn't need soapboxes? Aerodynamics. And uh, Ooh, don't throw soapboxes on your car. It does not provide good aero packaging. Right. But that's soap, not what you're looking for. Soapboxes <laughs> would have helped uh, some of the Lotus 49's innovations, such as. Uh, so, this is where we started to see aerodynamics become a huge part of the package of a car. Um, and Colin was experimenting with all kinds of crap. Uh, wings and whatever to make downforce, which now in F1 downforce, arguably more important than even engine power. Debatable. Uh, because they use, they use, I mean, they don't use mechanical downforce as much. They use literal aero downforce instead of mechanical downforce. Um, yeah. And so like they, they were experimenting with stuff like called clean air spoilers where they would mount the wing three or four feet above the car. It looked absolutely ridiculous. The idea was that it was in clean air that wasn't spoiled by the rest of the car. Uh, those failed all the time. Not every innovation can be successful. 
Um, yeah, they were notorious for flying off, weren't they? Yes, so much so that <laughs> I banned them. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, side radiators. So we actually moved the radiator of the car away from the front of the car so they could decrease the cross-sectional area of the front and make the car more like a bullet and move the radiators like to the back and the side. And you see that today in a lot of supercar design where they have like mid-engines and the radiators are off the front of the car. 911 comes to mind for me right off the gate almost. Yeah. Especially with where that engine yeah. is located. Most Italian exotics all all incorporate that type of design as well. Yeah. So uh from there 67 the Lotus 49 Lotus is just in the game of F1 doing great. Uh unfortunately right after that though in 68 Jim Clark uh, we haven't mentioned, you know, up to this point, uh, he was one of Lotus's most notoriously winningest driver. He's the greatest uh, driver of all time. You think so? That You think so? Uh, that's up for debate. I, I say that only because, like, of his ability to drive not only just F1, but all of the other classes. But we can, we'll have an episode on Jim Clark later. But I think he's arguably one of yeah, the best that, because yeah. of his ability, his his as they say in the racing world, his butt's ability to modify and adapt to different types of racing, uh, and win things like the Triple Crown and things like that. So I, I think he's up there with one of the greatest because of his adaptability and whatever car goes fast. And and you know, there's a lot to be said at the time. There's a lot of debate there. Of Jim Clark was. Uh, only good because of Colin Chapman and also Colin Chapman was only really good at designing and engineering race cars because Jim Clark was right next to him racing those cars. Right. And so it was just a perfect storm of two really good dudes at the perfect time, you know, racing together to make amazing cars in history. Uh, but, and they were, and you know, because of that, their best friends, they were together for a long time through the years, you know, as racing, racing partners and, uh, Colin Chapman's quoted as saying on the day that Jim Clark died, he truly lost a best friend, his best friend. So that's, it's really sad to hear, you know, but life goes on and Lotus kept winning. And in, uh, 78 with the Lotus 79, I think it is. That is correct. Uh, there was some major, well, I think drama. Yeah, there's some right? drama there. Uh, I think the 79 is considered one of the all-time great chassis in Lotus history. Um, that's further aerodynamic advancements. So, it, it, you know, he keeps just coming up with these wild, just wild-ass ideas. Instead of, like, refining things and making them better, like, he goes back to the drawing board, which I think is really impressive. So... With the 79, he tried to do this thing called ground effect, which is where he like got rid of the wings on the F1 car entirely and then mm. added these skirts to the side of the car to try and make a low-pressure... Seal. Yeah, a seal with the ground. So it made a low-pressure system underneath the car and the air couldn't get out. And they got the downforce from that ground effect underneath the car instead of these wings out in the airstream. And that made the car even more... So it gives him the down the down uh, downforce 
for cornering. They glued, yeah, stay glued to the track right. in the corner. Which is what wings do, but then he gets rid of the wings, and so now you don't have any aerodynamic drag, so the cars are faster on the straights. Um, which means more dangerous, too, right? It does mean more dangerous because these skirts, the idea with that, though, is you have to have this perfect aerodynamic system, and if you drive over a curb or a bump and you rip the skirt off, which did happen, now the car is really unpredictable at speed. So phenomenal idea. It's terrifying. Yeah, it is terrifying. But it, so it led to the FIA banning it again. Um, this yeah. time, not exactly because it was winning races because it was just too dangerous. Yeah. I just, I just love his like spirit of just like, effort i'm gonna fundamentally redesign this from the ground up yeah it was always just throwing old designs in the trash and starting from scratch like nope that wasn't good like what about this totally different area totally different direction just yeah and that so but then that development led into the lotus 88 in 1981 which yep with the with the dual dual sprung chassis, yeah, yeah the dual sprung which, chassis, which another crazy distilling. That is a mind blowing one right there. Well, so they were they were able to get rid of the skirts and they were able to still cause ground effect underneath the car, but they had to do it by having very precise ride heights between the front and the rear of the car. So the idea is that like if they went over a bump and the distance between the ground between the front and the rear changed, they would lose their ground effect. Um, and so what they would do is they would spring the car extremely stiffly. So the car didn't bounce or didn't move. It was just like rigid. Here's the crazy thing is that caused too much stress to be dealt onto the driver and drivers couldn't physically hold onto the steering wheel after a few laps. That's not good. Yeah. The car was so brutal. That's not good at all. Yeah. And so, yeah. The idea he came up with was he had a, uh, a he would set up the car super rigid, and then they would take the driving compartment and put like bushings around where the driver sat, so that the driver was isolated from the shaking through the rest of the car. Huh. Which I didn't stick around for long, did it? No, I think. No. Yeah, yeah the, the drivers couldn't handle it. Like, it was just. I was going to say, because that's not something that stuck around hard. today. It's still just a single chassis, not this dual chassis well, stuff. Well, that one didn't stick around. I think we can blame Enzo for that one. Um, that's fair. <laughs> they, so, again, Ferrari can figure it out. So, he uh, he threw them. that at the flag. Yeah. He, I didn't make it a better car. And then that was, that was really bad. Yeah. What? And the Mario just happened. <laughs> No, I mean that's that's I mean that that is what you know. If we ever get any Italian listeners, I'm going to get crucified. But oh, I'm um, sure you are. I almost made a bad Italian joke, but anyway, Italians don't crucify anyone like the Romans or anyway. <laughs> You're um, allowed to make uh, <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah, no. Other teams complained about this innovation, and they got that banned. So, like, I think the number of things that Colin came up with that won races and the number of things that caused everyone else to complain and get him banned was probably about equal, which probably the mark of a great mind. Yeah. Especially in the F1 universe. Lots of haters, lots of success. Yeah. <laughs> I but, love my you know, and, and, and speaking of that success, I mean, at this point, uh, he's really 
sort of emulating and living that John Player lifestyle that you know that livery came with on the F1 car. What you say? Which which lifestyle is that for the people? Millionaire, jet setting. I mean, uh, eight. I mean, th we're talking we're talking the eighties here, right? And so, like, uh, for for those listening at home uh, who don't know me, I, I'm I'm a real uh, follower of the eighties. I love the eighties. Not uh, so you're a for her, for really the party boy, but like the whole culture behind the eighties. It was it was just the hype fest. Excess. It, everything was a hype fest. It was excess. It was opulence. Like everything was booming. Everything was Eon pumping, right? Oh. Everybody was a high on cocaine. No Pain one gives it. You gotta have your the government, and the government was Pain in it. Oh. Like it was a crazy time to be alive, right? And to look back on it is interesting. And so uh and as I get older and as I, you know, dive into different parts of the 80s i find that it as like cocaine intersects into a lot of the a lot of I mean, eric you know, clapton's got a song about it for a reason man eric clapton's got a song about it it's definitely got to be banging right i mean that guy right like so you got delorean right who has his own sort of cocaine scandal and it kind of spills into colin's life here right with the success set with the success in the 80s and with delorean uh, you know, having a fac factory in Belgium and needing a new design or wanting a new design. Uh, he enlists Colin Chapman to design the DeLorean. Yep, Colin Chapman. Um, I, th I believe it used a modified Lotus Esprit chassis. Yep. Yeah, so Colin was fundamental in designing the DeLorean as well. So he's the one that designed the Back to the Future car, essentially? Yes. Yep, yes. Wow. It is essentially a Lotus Elise, just a little modified. A spree. Okay. Uh, it's a little, a spree. Sorry. These, all, no, all these names do sound the same. Right. Yeah, you got the, <laughs> they all, the they spree, also, the Elise, the Aurora, the Exige. Yeah. Here's the secret. Also with e. All Lotuses, yeah, all Lotuses start with E. I have no idea I, why. No idea why. I, as I, as, as do we, no one really knows the, the origin or the history reason why it's called lotus though some speculate you know it's uh his at the time wife or girlfriend who became his wife his nickname was lotus blossom i think it was yep yeah, that's and a so, speculation but that's speculation no one really knows it's been lost I read somewhere where the e thing came from but i i can't remember where exactly now i have failed you guys and i apologize i read it as a snippet in passing should have so, kept that brain nugget you know, anyway, in summary, uh, Colin Chapman got embroiled in the Lotus scandal. He probably embezzled a lot of money, and then he had a heart attack and died in 1987. But hey, it was the 80s. Everybody stole money. Everybody died, right? The 80s. Uh, yeah, I mean, you can't live out of the 80s and not embezzle a little bit, of, a couple million dollars. Yeah, yeah, a couple million dollars. You know, and I don't want to. I don't want to. What's end a few million life. anyway, right? What is a few? Million? Wolf on Wall Street. Wolf on Wall Street, folks. That's exactly <laughs> it. So anyway, uh, I you know I I think. Uh, we just wanted to pay a homage to this guy. This basically turned into a grocery list of amazing things his mind has developed and come up with. But uh, in in honor of Mr. Chapman and his car company, Lotus, which happens to be one of my favorite car companies of all time, um, I think we should all pick our favorite Lotus. 
and found out why he uh, used the letter E, by the way. What's that? Uh, to avoid confusion between Roman and Arabic numbers, as the Arabic 11 would be visually almost identical to the Roman 2, Chapman decided to spell it out. So the Lotus XI became the Lotus 11, unintentionally starting the name and strategy for all subsequent Lotus road cars, a strategy which continues with the unveiling of the Emra on 6th July. That is from Lotus's website directly. More you know. I was today. More you know. Oh, wow. Yeah. So now that we know, we're all going to pick cars starting with the letter E. Who's taking this off with their favorite Lotus E? Ooh, ooh, ooh. Me. I'll take it. Go ahead. Oh, jeez. Absolutely. absolutely The Exige S. Not only the Exige S, but I'm going to be super specific here because uh, this particular car... Uh, I've seen in person. I wish I was able to drive that day. Uh, it's the Exige S240, uh, which was only made for like three years, 2008 to 2011. Uh, and would absolutely have to be in yellow with the black, one singular black pinstripe down the middle. And okay. Want it because it's basically a glorified go kart? Yes. <laughs> no shame. 240 horsepower. Uh, it's, it's gotten, which is totally different for me, right? Since I have a GTR with 550, uh, wheel horse. Like double. Yeah. You can do math. But, you know, like, uh, old, old Colin chap, chap, the chap said, uh, you know, you don't need power everywhere and subtracting weight makes you faster everywhere. Well, that's what I want. You know, the exige is light as hell. Right. So, John, what about you? Yeah, I would. This is hardly the best car he ever designed, but it is my favorite. Oh, that's not going with the best car. That's kind of like the Stratos. Hot trash. John likes it. I'd like a lot of cars that are hot trash. Hot take right now. I'll tell you that. Uh, I I would pick the Esprit V8, which was the final incarnation of the Lotus Esprit. It is. I've seen it in person quite a few times. It is so beautiful. It's super cool. I think it might have one of the best rear ends, and everybody knows I'm an ass man, um, of any car ever designed. Um, And it has a 3.5 liter, so relatively small, flat plane twin turbo V8 that makes glorious noises turbo whistles it made 350 horsepower in the mid 90s which is a pretty respectable number especially for a car as affordable as that was compared to other supercars at the time um the only problem with it really is that it has a renault a french transmission and you know like yeah like the french are known to do it gives up uh from time to time God, I'm just really insulting everyone today. I should you're on the schoolboy yard. Gives yeah, up the you're ghost, on the schoolboy. Gives up the ghost quicker than John gives up the booty hole on a Sunday night after church. Thanks, Lenny. You got us covered on the after absolutely not child safe dissing here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We Tell might need to friends. put this put an E on this episode. Holy cow, kids! Only once, twice. It's fine. Oh, Ryan, FCC can't handle me. All right, all right. SCC Slim cannot handle Lenny. Uh, Slim Shady is not me, but I am Slim indeed. Uh, I am. I am. <laughs> you got the reference at least. Cool. I would. I would be a good driver for Mr. Chapman because I don't weigh much over 
anything. So, uh, but I am too tall. John, uh, you're short. I am tall. You're definitely too tall for most lotuses. For the record, that is probably yeah, true. Probably. Although I was watching Jay Leno's garage, and I am I can fit into the one that he was recommending. I can't remember the name of it now. It's one of the moderner ones. But I'm not picking a modern car because why would I do that? Uh, I was tempted to pick the newest one coming out, but I actually, guys, I chose the Lotus Elite. Not to be confused with the Lotus Elise. Um, I picked the Elite, uh, the Type 14, which is the uh, that's the chassis code for you kids out there, uh, which oh is the God. 1957 to 1963. Um, and the reason I picked it was because a it looks amazing. Um, it's a lightweight two seater coupe, uh, which is pretty sick. Had pretty much the independent suspension we talked about with traverse wishbones and the front and Chapman struts at the rear. Although the rear struts were so long, because this is the beginning of innovation here, uh, they actually poked out the back and the tops could be seen through the rear window, which is just goofy to me, but screw it. It works. Um, it also had advanced aerodynamics for the time, which uh, contributed to the low drag coefficient of the vehicle. Um, and considering engineers at the time did not have computer-aided or wind tunnel, that is baller to me. You just eyeball and stick arrow, let's go. Um, and uh, in particular, the one I was looking at has a nice like British racing green, and I would just love to just roll through the hills of the UK in this car. Dude, yeah. So for me, Type 14, Lotus Elite. And John's probably sitting there like, is this is this my friend? Is this the same guy? Does somebody possess him? This is what he's thinking right now. I guarantee it. I'm I'm just impressed you actually picked. Oh a, yeah, man! You actually with, picked a good car. That's uh... <laughs> two two weeks in a row. Yeah, Ryan has picked a good car. Yeah, Ryan's picked I, a good car. I have Google Images pulled up on Lotus Type 14s, and I see one in like a British racing green with yeah. dual pipe exit exhaust and like a all three quarter panel view. It looks really nice. That's what I'm saying. Man. I was like looking through them, and I was like, "Let's go!" That's car oh well, boys there's uh there's my car that i picked not knowing really any lotus cars going into this that's what my uh nice choice way to pick thank you well hey boys not to belabor the point but we are just shy of an hour now you want to play a game oh yes let us Ooh, play a game yeah speaking right, of game. picking a good card john's picked a car let's do it up like we do every week uh well except for last week but uh, Lenny and I are going to try to attempt to pick the car that John has guessed for us. Here we go. Yes, ladies and gentlemen. So in this segment, we call What I Wish I Was Driving. As Ryan mentioned, I pick a car. They have 20 yes or no questions, the 20th of which has to be the guess. Uh, if they guess the wrong car at any point, the game is over. Um, yes or no questions only. And for this particular car, I will give you a hint. Lenny, if you enter your mind palace and think obscure, you have a fighting chance of getting this one okay hold on let me enter my mind palace yeah and it is an iconic car so uh no generation required and with those ground rules let the questioning begin this car european european kind of Ooh, that's not a yes or no answer john well the answer is is not this easy. car a collaboration between an American company and a European company? God damn it. Yes. <laughs> American Euro collab. All right. 
Okay. What? You got it already, Lenny? Wow. No, I don't. Uh, this, that kind of. This might be a quick round if uh, you keep that up. Uh, get this in ten. Now it's hot. Nice. All right. So uh, what are got, you looking I at? Got, no, you have to fall. Yeah, I can't. I got nothing for that. Oh, I don't know which brand. I, what? You've narrowed it down it, into like. Okay. Is the John? Is the American company a Ford? Is the American company Ford? Is the American Ford. company Ford? Yes. This is, uh, ladies and gentlemen, is this might the, be a record. Is the European company British? British? No. Hmm. Play nice with. Is the European company German? German? Nine. Mm. Uh, wow. Well, uh, oh, is... Mind Palace. Mind Palace. Uh, yeah, he said it obscure. Right, yeah. So, like... I, look, you guys, <gasps> is 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 this is the European company uh, French? French, no. Oh well, fuck. Well, excuse me, sorry. Damn it. Yeah, we're oh, definitely we've already, gonna put in e. We've, e already gonna, we've already nuked that. I mean, you get you get two strikes. I think nowadays you probably have to put e on it. Uh, well, right, well, I was we're, thinking we're, we're slapping e on this one. Well, I, I was thinking the Bugatti uh, EB one ten. If anybody. You know, was catching my drift on the French connection. Is this like, uh, is this, is Eastern Bloc maybe? No, does Eastern Bloc even have cars like Slavs? Do they have the Russian Lauda? Yeah, they do, but I wouldn't <laughs> pick one because you guys would never get it. Uh, okay. What 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 uh question are, what question number are we at? You guys, the, you have asked. You're on number seven. 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 Ah, mm. uh, this. Okay, uh, obscure. I'm trying to narrow down what the collab means because, like, is, is, it this, the is this collaboration like in modern times? No. Modern? No. Ford collab with anybody in Italy? That doesn't. Ford. Spain. Spain doesn't make shit, do they? It's not Portugal. British, so that no. eliminates Cosworth. He said obscure. It's not French. Italy is the only big manufacturer left in Europe that we haven't hit, right? French, German, UK, Italy. Is this, what, is, this uh, is the collab with an Italian company? Is the collab with an Italian company? Yes. Okay. Hmm. Sorry to interrupt you, Lenny. No, yeah, it's fine. Uh, I was I was not going to guess that Italian because I'm I'm thrown off now. I don't know. Italian. So John has driven Ford cars and Italian cars. This is like right up John's alley, but it's obscure. Oh, I will say this is one of my favorite cars of all time. Oh, top ten? Mm, I'd have to really think about that. Maybe obscure. Ford Italian company we don't know yet. Colab. 
Pagani collabs its engines with Mercedes AMG. Or was Pagani even a thing before modern times? No. <laughs> You're right. I bet if you guys ask details about the car, it might help. Did this car oh, okay. race at Le Mans? Um I make him go to Google. Think so. But let me think so. That's ten questions. Yes. Did race at Le Mans. Should we ask about like where the engine's located, Lenny? Does that help narrow it down? Go yeah, shoot your shot. Shoot the J. If you're thinking about it, do it. Basketball help. references. That, help. that helps. His basketball references, man. I'm gonna do a crossover on you and break your ankles. Uh so uh is this a mid engine car? Mid engine, yes. Okay. I'm certain man. if anybody watches this that is really into cars, they're probably screaming at the at the radio right now. Man, I am missing it. At, on their on their AM FM radio, they're screaming at us about uh not knowing this obscure mid-engine Ford Italian company yet named Le Mans Racing car. Was this car built in the 70s? Yes. Okay. Racing Le Mans in the disco era. What you got, Lenny? Help me, help me narrow down here. And so with me. Ford raced the Ford GT 67, 70s. What did they, they race in the 70s? Collab afterwards? Would it be a Fiat or uh, something of that nature? Fiat. I'll tell you Ferrari. this. I'll tell you this. You guys will probably never guess the company without guessing the car. If that makes sense. Interesting. So it's like a one-off almost. Like, if you knew the car, you'd know the company off the top of your head immediately. But if you didn't know the car, you would never guess this car company, even though you know it's Italian. That's a, Wait a second. That's a huge hint, by the way. Wait a second. Go to your mind palace, Lenny. Go to your mind palace. <laughs> okay. Come on, so, Lenny. So, mind palace. No, but, but the... The the time periods don't match. Okay, so like uh, back in the day, but this was in the 90s or, or 80s, Ford tested like a quad turbo race car for Le Mans. I don't think they, I never thought they raced it or maybe it was its successor that I'm thinking of, but they collabed with Pina Fineri. Pin and Farina. Pin Farina, thank you. Uh, but that was uh, that was after. If John said this raced in, this was manufactured in the seventies. Time doesn't matter, so I don't. I don't really but he don't said know. generation. He said generation doesn't matter, so that means it's got. Uh, yeah, I don't know the model of the car either. Yeah, I, can't, I can't remember the model of the car off the top of my head. It's so freaking obscure. This day, I mean, did that car win in Le Mans? Maybe or no? Was it just? No, the, I think it was just a test. Yeah, it had four turbos. It was supposed to. Like fight up against the Bugatti EB one ten. Right, what type of engine did it have? V eight quad turbo. Okay. John, does this car have a V eight quad turbo? 
Is that is that the que- a V8 quad turbo? Is that the question? Ah, no. Ah. Oh, yeah, I'm saying like it's it's not that. Okay, I just wanted to make sure. Man, I don't know. I'm lost. I might have to t- throw in the towel on that. John Miami stumped. You are on question 13. 13. Raced at Le Mans. By the way, I only pick passenger cars for this segment. This is not a race car. It did raise them at Le Mans, but I only pick cars. But you could, like, buy I only pick cars you go to dealership and buy. You will never hear me pick. You wouldn't pick a specifically just pure racing car. Only things you could buy street legal. Yep. At a dealership. At a dealership. Man, I really, I, I, I don't know. Could you, could you buy this car at a Ford dealership in the 1970s? Yes. Okay. Is this car a coupe? By coupe do you just mean two seat two door yes yes hey. no back seat was there a convertible option no hey that's 15 you buy this at a ford dealership you was it naturally aspirated naturally aspirated yes hey. Come on, Lenny. Go into your mind palace. We got three questions and a guess. See him going into his mind palace. Vision, a coupe you could buy for a dealership that's obscure, that somehow worked with an Italian company that if we knew the Italian company's name, we would know the scar. True statement. In the, in the 1970s, a mid-engine naturally aspirated two-seater coupe that Ford collaborated on in the 70s and also raced in Le Mans in. I mean... And all, but it's also collaborated in the sense that they'd sell it at their dealerships in America, which is a big deal. True. Because if Ford's going to put their name on it and sell it in America... And it had to have lasted more than one generation... And the name of the car comes with the name of the Italian company. I don't know. No idea. I don't know. I have no idea. I'm going to have to throw in the towel here. Well, we got, we got like two more guesses. Just throw off a weird guess, see if we can get it here. What you got? No, I got nothing. Nope, that's it. I'm throwing in the towel. All right. Sorry. Lenny's throwing in the towel. <sighs> Lenny's about to kick himself. You guys ready? Lenny. Money. Yeah, no. Money. Are you I mean, done? Yeah, no. Like I, I, I literally have a stone wall. All right, looking right at it. The Don't car know. in question, okay, is the De Tomaso Pantera. Oh, I know which car that is. Collaborated. Race at Le Mans. It sure did. No. What? Did not know that. 
Terra de Tommaso. Dude, I know that car. That car looks cool as hell. That is way up John's car alley, too. Come on. You just got to look at weird triangle-shaped, wedge-shaped shit, and it's John's type of car. Look at the Stratos. Look at the, the freaking Lotus he picked. All these cars look the same. No, it's right up my alley as well. I've seen a ton of them. In, I, I know it's up my alley. That's why I thought 1971 to 1992, and it's Italian for Panther. Yep. So the Pantera was a collaboration between the Italian company, even though it was headed by an Argentinian guy. Uh, De Tommaso Pantera, it had a Ford Cleveland 351 cubic inch V8 and a five-speed ZF transaxle. Uh, it was, at the time, there was a big to-do of American engines in European bodies. That was a big thing, and this was kind of riding on that wave of popularity. Um Made famous by Elvis buying and driving one. Yeah. And famously broke down on him in the highway and he kicked it. Um, so, you know, but it used. I'm really mad at myself. Also, this. also, Ford stopped importing the Pantera to the U.S. in 1975, having but sold they, around 5,500 cars. But they kept making Did sell it at their dealerships. Yeah. Until uh, car continued to use a Ford V8 engine, uh, although in 1988, when the supply of Ford 351 Cleveland engines from Australia ran out, De Tommaso began installing Ford 351 Windsor engines in the Pantera instead. Which is not as cool. I won't get into I have no why. idea. I won't get into why, but it's not as cool. But yeah, and they had Group okay. 4 and Group 5 body excuse me, body kits with wide fenders, crazy wings, and that's what they campaigned in actual racing. Man, uh, I did not know that uh, the Tommaso Pantera raced at Le Mans. That, that was the... That was the stump right there. Like you, you got me on that. Well, well done, John. Stump. Nice work. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that has been a, uh, another episode of Zero Lift. We talked about a innovator and legend, Colin, Colin Chapman. Uh, words are hard. Uh, John stumped us this week on pick a car. Lenny is going to be kicking himself until we do it again. Uh, any final yeah. thoughts, guys? Can't win them all. I'll come back stronger in the next one. Pieces of crap are fun to drive. All right. Pieces of crap are fun to drive. Again, John tried to get on a soapbox. He started off with a little wrecked and then started stacking it up as we got through innovations with Chapman. And uh, Lenny did a great job storytelling. I kept blowing uh, John's mind by picking great cars and understanding chassis codes. So Getting better keep it pinned and we'll see yeah. you on Zero Whip. Yeah. Later. Stay safe, kids. <laughs>